So we've been excited about biodiversity for a long time. Um, we made a couple of investments in that space. We believe that that's not yet up and coming as an area of investment, um, mm -hmm. but it will become an asset class on its own as we sort of under, start understanding the small, smaller blocks of nature, right? And how those can contribute to better understanding of your nature impact, but also founding blocks of the sort of um, bioeconomy of the future. Hi everybody and welcome to Funding a Better Future. This is a series of bite-sized episodes which feature the expert insights of climate tech investors. My name's Cherry and I'm the founder of Above and Beyond Recruitment. We're a business that partners with climate tech startups and we help them to scale and grow their teams, either by recruiting for them and helping them build out teams or by offering talent advisory and consultancy services. This series is aimed at founders and leaders of climate tech businesses, and particularly to anybody who is looking to raise investment this year. Throughout the course of the series, we aim to give you a realistic picture of the current investment market, as well as some tips to help give you the best chances of fundraising success, and hopefully to give you a network of people that you can reach out to when the time is right for you. Today, I'm joined by Irena Spazapan, Managing Partner at Systemic Capital. Irena was an executive director at Goldman Sachs, focused on gas and carbon, before joining Systemic, a climate advisory firm where she was responsible for building out an investment arm, investing in startups across clean energy, the circular economy and natural solutions. In June of last year, Systemic Capital spun out from Systemic and now operates as a separate entity. And I've only spoken throughout this series, I think this is my seventh or eighth, yeah, seventh episode of the series so far, and so far, only spoken to men. So it's absolutely brilliant to feature a female, not just in climate tech, in the climate tech community, but also in the investment community. So Irene, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for hosting me. Look forward to the conversation. Fabulous. So to kick off, are you happy to share a little bit about your journey into the sector and systemic capital's journey since since you launched the investment arm five years ago? Sure. So um, I like to say that I started working in climate in March 2005, which was two months after phase one UA ETS scheme was launched. Um, so I sort of lived through that boom and bust um, on uh, the commodity side of Goldman Sachs, where I was doing power and carbon mainly and gas. Um, so having had a career which was very much linked to physical assets, right? And what are the feedstock and what are the, that, that sort of you need to pr generate power and what are then the off-take agreements and how you finance that whole thing um, was definitely um, very sort of um, a, in, a, a great start to understanding how the actual physical world actually works and how things move around and what are the kind of things that you can finance and what are the things you cannot finance. Um, my then journey to sort of specialized on climate only came via children. Um, I think when you have children, it becomes much more about the world you leave behind as opposed to, you know, what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Um, and that was around the time when I decided to sort of leave Goldman behind and very much focus only on the sort of innovation and clean tech side of things. Yeah. Um, clean tech as we knew it back in 2000, sort of in the 2000s, um, had a complete um, burial, right, after the great financial crisis. So in 2000, I would say that 2011, 2016, there was a very deep winter in anything that had links to the clean tech world 1.0. Um, 
And 2016, 15, 16, and then 17 even more so is when it became clear that the cost curves of power were following a very steep down on curve and were going to be much cheaper than any other alternative, any much sooner than anybody had thought about. Um, and that, I think, was what drove, as we now know it, climate tech, which I'm sure is going to change name at some point again in the next 10 years. Um, but it is now linked, un unlike sort of clean tech 1.0, it's very much linked to cost curves that are finally cost competitive. So it's not linked anymore to something, you know, again, most of it, not everything, is not linked anymore to things that are way off market, right, and way more um, expensive than the alternative, um, which is why I think we think, right, that it's going to be driving one of the biggest, you know, industrial revolutions that we have seen possibly since uh, we, move, we moved from coal to oil, right, earlier mm -hmm. in the last century. So it's an incredibly fascinating transition, which is happening faster than any, than any time in history because of the climate urgency we're living. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And so obviously you've been in this space then, as you said, then since 2005 in, in, in one mode or another. So that's sort of almost coming on for 20 years, seeing booms, busts, you know, and, and the growth and the evolution of this sector. So as it stands today in, in the kind of climate tech sector, what's your opinion of, of climate tech today, the opportunities and, and indeed the funding landscape this year for, for climate tech companies? Mm. So it's more exciting than it's ever been. Um, it's definitely very exciting being an investor in 2023 <laughs> and 24 than being a founder um, mm. because of the macroeconomic environment we're living in. Um, but, you know, and there will be bubbles that will burst within the climate world and to an extent have already, or we're living through that. But this space as a whole is not going to go back to where it was, you know, in 2011, because it's become so much bigger and because it's based on cost competitive alternatives, um, which wasn't really ever the case before. So it's an incredibly exciting moment, though cheap money has ended. Mm. I think... 2019 was when we started seeing the boom in climate tech, right? 19, 20, 21. And then it actually, we lagged in climate, we lagged the rest of the tech industry by at least nine months, especially in the US, possibly Europe sort of got there a little bit earlier. Um, so it's going to take at least another four or five years to understand, you know, what the real um returns are going to be from the funds that were invested in you know in 19 20 21 22 in sort of in the boom years especially 21 22 mm -hmm. um lots of things will change in the meantime and i think again when you run a fund you always have to consider that your time horizon is over 10 years which is longer than any financial cycle so you have to be very careful at avoiding momentum investments that, you know, just because something is hot, I'm going to then invest in it too. Those are exactly the kind of investment you should not touch. Um, and if you are a founder in this environment, right, it goes by itself. You know, I occasionally speak to people who are like, I want to found a company. Do you have an idea? Good luck. <laughs> um, right. I think just like, you know, as an investor, you don't want to touch things that are hot or in a momentum hype. So as a founder, you have to go and look for things that are maybe a little bit under the radar, right? Things mm -hmm. that, again, where the cost curves are coming to a stage uh, together with the regulatory pressures or whatever else it might be, right? They're coming to a stage where you believe as a founder that your particular space of interest is going to boom. You have a passion for it because passion 
is always part of the equation. Um, and go for it, right? Don't go and chase the stuff that is now fashionable because chances are that by the time you're going to come and raise, you know, your seed or Series A fund in two, three years time, if you follow the hype in two, three years, that cycle is going gonna, is gonna to deflate and you're going to be raising in the worst possible cycles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there about there, there being some parts of the sector where the bubble has already burst. Um, I mean, in, in your opinion, what, what are those parts of the sector that... that that are kind of less hot now, okay. Well, there's many, to be fair. <laughs> um, um, maybe carbon offsets, right? The traditional yeah. world of carbon offsets is definitely a bubble that is deflating very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and it's deflating in the right way. You know, mm -hmm. I am a strong believer that, you know, if you follow the various research that 80 to 90% of offsets ever issued have had zero additionality, right? A lot of that sort of paper cowboy carbon trading is disappearing, right? And that always disappears through a downturn. Again, in 2009, 10, 11, after the great financial crisis, you had like, the, you know, the CEO, CR soup. You had gray CRs, green CRs, and you name it. And that whole thing disappeared because as it got more and more fragmented, the market had no more liquidity to operate. Mm -hmm. um, so carbon markets today are going through a similar cycle. But I'm equally, you know, after five years for the first time, a little bit more bullish on that side because what is going to emerge out of the ashes is actually way stronger from a quality perspective than we've ever had before. Um, another area which went through, you know, its massive hype um, was the famous world of carbon accounting. Um, valuations for very small revenues um, and you know there's a very big role for those companies to play in the world but not to the extent you know the valuations were crazy right so um, it's going through its own readjustment period um, possibly we are entering the same on hydrogen right mm -hmm. or maybe at the, tip, at the tip you know I think things are going to go in a particular way but let's see right it's still now being pumped up by subsidies but I think I think if you make an investment based of subsidies in venture capital, when the times are so long, good luck, uh, right? Because the subsidies will be over way before your fund is going to come to the end of the term. Um, there are others, smaller, right? You know, maybe these are the three big ones. Food, to an extent, you know, went through a massive hype. So there's a bit of a readjustment right now. Yeah. Um, but there's equally lots of very exciting areas out there. Um, and I yeah. think as a founder, you have to be very conscious of the sector you operate in yeah uh, and on that side on, on the kind of the bits that are kind of exciting and those ones that haven't kind of reached the top of the curve yet what what are you seeing as up and coming as exciting and, and as interesting in the space this year so we've been excited about biodiversity for a long time um we made a couple of investments in that space we believe that that's not yet up and coming as an area of investment um mm -hmm. but it will become an asset class on its own as we sort of under, start understanding the small, smaller blocks of nature, right? And how those can contribute to better understanding of your nature impact, but also founding blocks of the sort of um, bioeconomy of the future. So that's a space we've made a few investments, continue to be excited about. Shipping is an interesting space. Um, mm. The IMO, um, the International Maritime Organization, is going through some pretty steep reforms, right, in the next three, four years. Um and there are some very some very interesting enablers that are emerging in that space. Again, we've made an investment. We're looking we're looking certainly to deploy more in that space. And is that um, an organization of shipping and of the ships yes. themselves? Yeah. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Um, a lot of these spaces, you know, in aviation falls in the same track. 
um, they're gonna go. They are going in a world of much increased complexity, um, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to, I run my ship, and I can just stop in any bunker in port in the world and fill it with lower high sulfur fuel oil. You're going into a world well. Well, a short route might be electric, a longer one might go on ammonia, like some might stay on these sort of scrubbers and lower, lower sulfur fuels, others might go on hydrogen, you name it. It's going to go into much bigger complexity, which is usually a space that starts screaming for enablers. Yeah. Um, so it's a very something we find a lot, a, a, very interesting. The, the whole electrification in transport theme, we've done a lot of investments in, we're going to continue investing. Um, there are still big bottlenecks in that space. Um, and so I believe that there's still massive value that has to be created. And a lot of that will come from technology, sort of tech, tech innovators. Yeah. Um, another space we've always felt, right, we haven't made a single investment, but it's the space, you know, it's personally my personal, right, sort of a hobby, right, in a way, it's the space of methane, right? It's just an enormous problem, mm. massively overlooked because everybody focuses on CO2, but the real sort of scary negative feedback out there is methane, right? And the fact that methane leaks don't even occur in the way we account for the carbon budget. And methane, yes, it disappears on average after 15 years. But in those 15 years, it is 100 times more powerful than CO2. So it's a massive problem in the global warming problem. Not enough solutions out there. We've seen many, right? Nothing so far that was really, really investable. Um, but we'll keep looking. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Fantastic. Okay. Um, and what, what advice would you give? I mean, I mean, before, before we kind of launch into that, perhaps talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned the sectors that you're interested in investing in, but from a, an organization perspective, a startup perspective, what stage of the journey does systemic capital tend to invest at? And, and what does a good investment prospect look like for you? So we do series A, B, uh, yeah. So we don't come into the earliest stages of the process. You need to have a minimum viable product. You need to have some revenues. We very, very rarely invest in pre-revenue companies. Um, we are most excited about businesses that have a sort of a, a high level of IP mm -hmm. um, that don't require much CapEx to scale, right? So yes, we will do some sort of deep tech CapEx heavy companies. We will do a few sort of pure SaaS businesses, but those are maybe not the ones we are most excited about. Um we, again, um, in all the areas, you know, whether it's food or materials, nature, mobility, um, there is a lot of sort of deep tech innovation required where which can play much more sort of on the computing power um, mm. that are that is increasing every year, right? And how does that enable a faster transition of the underlying sectors? Those are the spaces we are typically most interesting about. There might be a bit of a hardware component here and there, but not something that will require hundreds of millions, right, of capex to get to, to yeah. get to even revenues. Okay, so more those kind of tech-enabled solutions, and perhaps even examples of where AI is decarbonizing sectors and those kind of those kind of have you know, and that's the way we've been investing for the past five years. So it's nothing new. Yeah, perfect. Okay, and and what advice would you give to founders in organizations at that point that are looking for investment and 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 who may be coming to to speak to you? What would you, what advice would you give to founders in those organizations about perhaps where they could be focusing within their business to make them as attractive an investment prospect as possible? Yeah. So because we're going to be living in a world of high interest rates for a while, right? Um, and you can park your money in a bank and get 5% or you will soon get 5%. Um, there is a lot more, um, you know, I think 
a lot more general apprehension towards businesses that are many years away from revenues because the cost of capital for those kind of businesses is much higher right than it's been in our living memory right none none of us has ever worked in an environment where you had interest rates above five percent um so i think businesses that are so far away you know if you are sort of a deep tech asset heavy business, which will rely on having somebody that's going to finance your first of a kind and your assets, maybe look, you know, there will be some venture capital invest funds that will invest in that kind of stuff, but that is not really venture capital. That is infrastructure, right? right? And so if you want to be VC funded, and then at one point in your journey, you're not going to become an infrastructure investment, that link doesn't really work. And I think that's been missed a little bit, right? Confused a little bit in the past sort of two, three years of boom. Um, so look for investors that understand your asset class, that they're not investing into climate just because it's hot and because they believe that they have to tick a box of some LPs who's telling them, you know, that they have to have some climate exposure. Because, you know, in a way, an early stage investor, it's, it's a bit like a marriage, right? You're going to be together mm -hmm. for a very long time, right? These are not people who are going to just sit in a back room, um, but you want them to be very actively helping to scale your business. And so it's very, very important to be very thoughtful about who are you going to let in. Um, you know, assuming that you have the choice, you want to be super thoughtful about, about that because it is, it does make a massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on that point, if you're, a, I should imagine if you're a first time founder or if you're a founder who's raising external capital for the first time, uh, you may not know, I suppose, how to mm. ask the right questions or how to determine what the right investor is going to sure. be. That's why, that's why the incubators are formed for, right? That's why you need advisors, right? Yeah. This is not a world where you're going to, you know, create a, an amazing company on your own. This is a world of deep collaborations where people, mm -hmm. especially in climate, which is a system problem, um, people are typically incredibly open to help, right? Yeah. And all the investors I know, all the people that are involved in climate dedicate a chunk of their time to help the next generation come up, right? Because it is so critical. So use yeah. all channels you have. You know, I always tell people, mm -hmm. you will know two people that have something to do in what you're trying to do. Go and have coffee with those two. Ask each of them for two more. And in six yeah. months, you're going to know a hundred, right? Mm -hmm. um, nothing happens just sitting in front of your desktop, right? You know, you sort of have to reach out there and hustle. That's the job of a founder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and have you got any kind of advice on what questions they could perhaps ask when they're having initial conversations with investors to ensure that that investor really does know their asset class, really does understand what they're trying to achieve and would be the best fit for them? Well, that's usually very clear, right? If I go in a founder conversation and after 10 minutes, I know more than the founder, that's not the good conversation I want to be in, right? So you want to feel that they, you know, the investor knows a lot about what you are trying to do, but not, the, not nowhere near as much as you, right? Because the investor should never know more than the founder. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And, and what are you excited about this year for Systemic Capital? And, you know, is there, is there anything exciting happening in, in your world this year that you'd like to share with us? Um, yeah, look, it's, um, we are closing our second fund in June. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to closing a year of fundraising for, our, you know, on our funds. So I it's had a fun year of sitting on both sides of the bench. Um, and I think overall, this is one of the most exciting periods to invest in VCE, right? That we've seen in the past 10 years. So it's a very, very exciting time.
Fantastic. Yes, I know. It definitely, it definitely feels like it is. I think it's an exciting time, but one that at least on the founder side and, and where I'm speaking to, to people day in, day out is kind of tinged with slight apprehension and slight uncertainty about what's to come. Um, but all of these conversations I've had over the last few weeks with, with various investors across the climate tech sector have all been very positive. You know, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of appetite to invest. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to see how the next couple of years progress for sure. 100%. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. How, how can people get in touch with you uh, or Systemic Capital more generally if, if, if they you know, would like to start conversations about, about investments? So we have a website, systemiccapital.earth. Um, you can see the rest of the team. Um, I think the website does a reasonably, a reasonably good job of explaining sort of who is doing what in the team. It's nine of us, so it's a relatively, it's a larger team. Um, or it just reached out on LinkedIn, or there might be some contacts on the website where it might be, but LinkedIn is always the easiest. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for, for sort of sharing all of that information. There's a lot of value in there for, for founders who are watching. Um, so yeah, really appreciate your time. No problem. Have a good day. You too. And to everyone out there, if you've missed any of our previous episodes, we've spoken to some fantastic investors, um, including Turquoise International, Nesta, Nomia, Planet A Ventures, and, and many, many more. And we've got more episodes coming over the next two to three weeks. We won't be with you this Friday, unfortunately, but we'll be back with you next Wednesday when we'll be speaking with Albion VC. So thanks again to Irena and thank you to everybody who's joined us to watch today. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. 